All right, so there, there is only one kind of animal that I know through and through, okay? And that animal is a Great Dane, all right? You know, this is the half dog, half horse dog you see sometimes. And the reason I know Great Danes so well is because I grew up with a lot of dogs and we almost always had one to two Great Danes, okay? We had probably about uh, 10 Great Dane funerals over the course of my life, okay? That's morbid, but it's just true. They don't, they don't live long because of how big they are. And so I, it's the only animal that I know through and through. I know, I know Great Danes. And because of this, it's the only dog I'm not afraid of, okay? Here's what I mean. If I'm on a hike, this is a PSA to everybody in Flagstaff. If I'm on a hike and your dog is off a leash, I don't care if it's a chihuahua, I'm scared, all right? I don't know what your dog's about, okay? I don't know what he's going to try to do, what he's up to, how he's going to, like, knock me off this mountain. I don't know what's going to happen. So leash your dogs. No, but I... So when I see other dogs, I'm scared. But recently, I'm on Fat Man's Loop, and I turn a corner, and there's a Great Dane off the leash, no owners in sight. I'm not scared, though. Even though this thing is half horse, half dog, I'm not scared because I know Great Danes. I, in one second, at looking at a Great Dane, I can know if a Great Dane's mad, if he's happy, if he's angry. I know from having so many Great Danes and being around so many Great Danes over the years, it's this weird thing. There's like this community of Great Dane people, and they all know each other. But I know from being around so many, I know when one's mean or angry or stirred up or riled up. I know that the vast majority of Great Danes never get that way. And so I turn this corner, I see this Great Dane, I'm totally fine. And I did say to the person, hey, you're lucky, I grew up with Great Danes, that's why I wasn't scared right now when I <laughs> ran into the owner. But I just, I know Great Danes through and through. I know their temperaments, I know their looks, I know, I, I, I know Great Danes. So if you came to me and you began to say, hey, I want to explain something to you, and you began to use Great Danes as your illustration, I would be like, I am tracking with you, I get it. Their tails do do that. Like, that is how Great Danes exist in the world. We're going to see Jesus do a similar thing here in John chapter 10 today. Is he takes animals and he takes a scene familiar to the people of that day, and he takes realistic things that those animals do, not to tell us things about those animals, but to tell us things about himself and to tell us things about us. And so we're going to see Jesus today take this scene of sheep and a shepherd and a sheep pen and pastures and uh, thieves and robbers and wolves and hired hands to describe to us who we are and who he is. And so this is what we're going to do with the text today. We're going to look at these things. We're going to, we're going to try to understand them more, but we're going to break the text up into three parts. In the first part of the text that we go through, we're going to see what Jesus is saying about that crowd that he's talking to. Using these illustrations, what does that mean that Jesus is saying about that crowd that he was talking to? And of course, we're going to then look at what does that mean for us here today. The, the next two parts of the sermon are, are just going to be Jesus revealing himself to us using these illustrations, using these metaphors. We're going to see that he's the door to the sheepfold in the second part, and then in the third part, we're going to see that Jesus is the good shepherd. So that's where we're going today. We can turn all together to John chapter 10, where we'll start. And know this, these, these 21 verses that we'll go through over the course of this time here, 
there's a lot here. It's dense. Okay? Now, I've heard, you know, it's good to only make one point while you're a preacher. But the problem is, as I look at Jesus' teachings, it doesn't seem like he's always just trying to make one point. It seems like he wants to make a few points, and his teachings are very dense. And so I might talk about a lot today, but the reason I'm doing that is because I think Jesus was talking about a lot in this passage. And all of it's good for us to hear. Okay? So, let's hop into John chapter 10. We're going to read the first five verses. Follow along with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay, let's, let's stop there for a bit. So Jesus is taking imagery from their day that made sense to them in order to, to describe things about himself and describe things about them. And this is, this is not just Jesus saying these things. These are true things. I was actually talking to Delphina a few weeks ago at lunch, and she was talking to me about how her grandmother was a shepherd and how her grandfather is a shepherd and how these things that Jesus says about sheep are just true. That, that, that the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. And if you're not the shepherd and you come in, they'll scatter. And if they even hear your voice and it's not the shepherd's voice, they're going to scatter. They're going to go away. Delphina even told me that when her grandmother passed suddenly... The sheep noticed. They knew that, 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 that their shepherd was gone, and they cried through the night. And so when Jesus is using this imagery, it's all the more powerful because it's true about sheep. And so I just want to put that into our heads, that as, as Jesus is talking about this, it's not just distant, far-off ideas. These are real, concrete things in the world And Jesus is using them to describe himself. He he also uses this imagery, and we'll we'll go more into in a few minutes what Jesus is saying about himself, but he's using this imagery, imagery to point some things out about the crowd. There's two things in these first few verses, and and, and Jesus will flesh it out more as we go on, but there's two things in these first few verses that Jesus is trying to point out about the crowd. Kind of two two crowds, if you will, that there's kind of two groups in the crowd. I'm sure there's more, but for, for this in, instant, in this instance, Jesus was trying to teach something specific about the crowd. And he, he said there's two groups. The first group is this. It's a group that hears his voice and follows him. That there are people in the crowd hearing Jesus and knowing that he is God, and they want to follow him for it. Without seeing his credentials, without him proving himself, they just hear his voice. They, see, they hear the words that he's saying. They just know it's God, and they want to follow him. I think of Anna in Luke 2. Do you remember Anna in Luke 2? Baby Jesus comes to the temple with Mary and Joseph, and she is an, an older woman, a prophetess, who would spend her time in the temple praying, who, desi- who desired to see the consolation of Israel, who desired to see the Messiah. And as a baby, Anna goes, that's him. She 
heard his voice and knew it was him. That's one part of the crowd that Jesus is addressing. He opens up, though, addressing another part of the crowd. These thieves and robbers. Jesus is saying there's, there's people in the crowd who, who are part of God's people who are getting in by ways they shouldn't get in. Not saying like they've tricked people into thinking that they were part of God's people, but that they were living and operating in God's kingdom in a way that was not God's ways. And so what they were doing was taking advantage of God's people. They were taking advantage of God's sheep. They were profiting off of God's sheep. Thieves and robbers only break into a sheep pen to steal sheep. And Jesus is saying there's some in this crowd who are like that. There are some in this crowd who essentially are just here to use others and to use others to get what they want out of life. And they happen to be taking advantage of God's sheep. In fact, this language that Jesus is using in this whole passage, it has strong ties to this chapter in Ezekiel. It's chapter 34 in Ezekiel, where God begins to talk to the shepherds of Israel. And he doesn't mean the literal shepherds of Israel. He means the spiritual shepherds of Israel. And God begins, and, and there's so many connections between Ezekiel 34 and this John chapter 10, 1 through 21, that theologians are going, like, Jesus is definitely hearkening to Ezekiel 34. And so for us to understand these thieves and robbers that Jesus is addressing, and if they were the spiritual leaders, these script, this scripture would have been coming up in their mind too. They would have known that Jesus was essentially saying these things about some in the crowd. To understand that, I want us to look at Ezekiel 34. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read 10 verses of it. It's, it's kind of a lot, but you guys are smart. You could stick with it. And I just want you to see what God says to the thieves and robbers of Ezekiel's day through the prophet Ezekiel. It says this, chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but, my, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not, have not fed the sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand. 
and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Intense words from Jesus. To a group of people that knew absolutely that he was hearkening back to Ezekiel 34. They knew absolutely the claims he was making by calling some in the crowd thieves and robbers. He was saying, you get your fill from the sheep. Not only that, you neglect the sheep. You don't care about the sheep. You don't take care of them. And so Jesus says to some of the crowd, some of you hear my voice, you follow me. Some of you, you just want to steal. You just want to kill. You just want to destroy. You just want to harm others so that your way of life is upheld. You're thieves. You're robbers. And in Ezekiel 34, it says, I am against you. Strong words. So, how does that, I mean, how does that, oh man. Whew. Good thing we weren't in that crowd, huh? Like, that, that's, a, that's a good, Here, here's the problem. Even though Jesus was saying that stuff to that crowd, God's word is for this crowd. It's for every crowd. And so there are things here for us to glean and for us, what, what, what is what Jesus says about that crowd tell us about ourselves? Okay, the first is this. I'll start positive. If you, if you hear Jesus' voice and you follow him, you're his sheep. I think some of us get way too worried about passages like this. Right? There, there is definitely God's sovereignty being presented in this passage. That he is the great, powerful shepherd that causes his sheep to hear his voice. And that freaks a whole bunch of us out. And we go, am I his sheep? Am I his sheep? I don't know. Am I his sheep? It's simple. Do you hear his voice and do you follow him? It doesn't have to be perfect, but do you follow him? Listen, those conversations about God's sovereignty in our will, it's just out of our pay grade. The Bible is constantly saying God is sovereign over everything. Salvation is the Lord's. And then what you do matters. You're responsible for your sin. It sounds like a contradiction. I would argue it's a paradox. That hopefully when Jesus returns, he'll do some classes for us on this and we'll understand it more. <laughs> but in the meantime, that's what we're working with. And so if you're a person going, am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? Living kind of in that condemnation, I would say this. Do you hear his voice? Do you follow him? You're his sheep. Be encouraged. Now, that's one thing that I think it could speak to us in this crowd today. Here's the second thing that I think what Jesus says about that crowd could speak to this crowd today. Listen, none of us, none of us could claim to be a spiritual shepherd over Israel in Jesus' time or Ezekiel's time. So, so none of us, we, we can hear this and we go, none of us are this literal thief that Jesus is talking about. Here, here's, here, here's what's interesting, though. Peter says that what Jesus has done has made us a nation of priests, right? Do you know the priests were the shepherds of Israel? They were the spiritual shepherds of Israel. So I'm just saying that if we are a nation of priests, perhaps... 
That when, when God addresses the shepherds of Israel, maybe we should listen because of, of, of the connotations it could have for us and the meaning it could have for us. That even though this context that we're in is very different than Ezekiel's time, and this context that we're in is very different than Jesus' time, perhaps we can see God's heart and what he cares about and what matters to him. Because here's what I know. Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We just saw two weeks ago, Jesus claimed to be the great I am. So Jesus claimed to be God. And so that means that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so sometimes I think we get to the Old Testament and we go, well, I don't, uh, uh, and there, there are definitely some moments in the Old Testament where we need to understand why something is being said. But I think a lot of times we don't realize that we can see God's heart even in the confusing things about what he said. And so I think that we can hear God's heart in Ezekiel to the shepherds. Let's reread Ezekiel 34.4. Let's, let's reread it. It says this. The weak you've not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Over the last year, the church has become divided in a lot of ways. I know we don't want to say that. I know we don't want to talk about it. You're probably tired of hearing me say things like this. But I watch, not our church specifically, but really the American church as a whole get divided. Because there are a group of God-fearing Christians who go to Ezekiel and they read how God cares about binding up the injured, strengthening the weak, looking for the lost. And they go, if that's God's heart, shouldn't it be, that be my heart? Shouldn't that be the church's heart? And those people and those groups in, in the last year, more than any year in my life, have been labeled as like social gospel or anti-gospel or a works-based gospel. Or even not even Christians. Like, oh man, they're really, they're just not believing the gospel anymore. Look, they want to they bind up the, the, the wounds. They want the church to care for the weak. That's not gospel at all. The gospel is the, new, the good news that Jesus is king over all. And his life, death, and resurrection proclaims that kingship and gives us access to him as the king. So any outworkings of the kingdom, it's not the gospel, but it's the outworking of his kingdom. And so this division that's happened in the greater American church, and friends, let's be honest, has happened in this church a little bit. I'm worried about it. I'm worried about it because I go to Ezekiel 34 and I go, it sounds like this is what God has for us. It sounds like God is inviting us to strengthen the weak. His words, not mine. To bind up the injured. His words, not mine. To seek out the lost. His words, not mine. His words in the Old Testament, nonetheless. 
So, how does Jesus calling people thieves and robbers speak to us? This is all I'll say. If you find yourself going, man, these people aren't Christians because they want to take care of people, because they want to love people, so they want to strengthen the weak, so they want to heal wounds, I would just say this. Maybe you have more in common with the thieves and robbers than you'd care to admit or even care to see about yourself. Okay, that's all for that. I know the last few weeks people have been coming up to me after and they're kind of like, hey, hey, you okay? <laughs> like, is it all right? You doing okay? Listen, I get it. <laughs> I get why. One, it's a valid question. But two, Jesus has been talking to the religious leaders the last few weeks in John. And that's where we're at. There's a couple more interactions he has with them. And then, and then I think it's gone for a little while in John. But Jesus don't play with the religious elite. He don't. He goes, you, you know Ezekiel. Here we go. And I, I'm going to assume that some of us in here have been going to church for a long time. And so Jesus don't play with us either. He's going to be forthright with us. And so I'm okay. <laughs> I promise. But I want to be faithful to his word. I want to hear what he's saying to that crowd and see, does this, can this say something to this crowd? And I think it can. We should be sheep that hear his voice. Not thieves and robbers who divide the flock. Okay? All right. Let's keep moving. The rest of this sermon, we're going to just look at Jesus. That's the point of the rest of the sermon. Look at Jesus and see who he is. See who he claimed to be. And this is who God is. In the moments when it's hard to remember this about God, it's good for us to look at this and go, this is who God is. I might not see it right now, but it's probably because I'm a sheep. And so let's look at who God is. John 6, John 10, 6 through 10. Let's go there. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. Jesus is always going to exceed our expectations. He, he is giving them this analogy saying, hey, I'm the shepherd. I'm the shepherd. They're not getting it. So he goes, you know what? I'm everything. <laughs> right? He starts, I don't know if it's called mixing metaphors or what, but he starts going, you know what? I'm the door too. If you don't know what a sheepfold is, I didn't either. It's just a sheep pen. All right? It's an enclosure you keep sheep in. All right, that's, that's the sheepfold, like the fold of sheep, the flock of sheep, okay? And Jesus is saying he's the door to the sheep pen. And he talks about what that means a bit. Essentially, this is the, the, the picture he's giving that crowd and giving us. If you want to go out and get pasture and water and what you need to live, I'm the door. If you want to come in and you need protection and other kinds of food, I'm the door. Jesus is saying, if you want life, I'm the door to life. Sometimes we pose Jesus as just like this really good guy, this really good teacher. This guy that has great morals. 
great way to love each other. But Jesus claimed to be so much more than that. Some we might even go, Jesus has a great way of life, which I think he does. But what Jesus presents about himself is that he is a great way to life. And not just a great way, the great way, the only way to life. He's the door. They're not understanding the metaphor and he goes, let me spell it out for you. I'm not just the shepherd. I'm the door to get in or get out and get grass. That's it. I'm it. I'm the door even. No wonder they were confused. I've never met someone who says, I'm the door. (laughs) What are you saying, Jesus? He's saying that if you want life, you can only find it in him. This is the reason Jesus has come. Our world is encompassed by death. And Jesus says, I've come to defeat the death, death and bring life to you. Life and life abundant is found in Jesus. And I think sometimes we, we get freaked out saying this stuff about Jesus. And part of it is because there's all these preachers on TV, right, or wherever, who say, hey, the abundant life is for us. And so they're like, buy me a $65 million jet. And we're like, no, thank you. <laughs> that seems off. <laughs> and they are off. The abundant life Jesus has for us looks totally different than the abundant life we want for ourselves. And so when Jesus is offering life, it just looks totally different than what we want. Think of sheep, too. They just wander, right? They just want to wander and get get lost, and they don't know what's right for them. They don't know they need a pen to keep them in, right? I think I saw a picture a few weeks ago where a sheep just wandered in the forest for like 30 years. No, some amount of time, and he was just, his wool was just, he, could, he looked like a cotton ball, a nasty cotton ball. And I read in this like little article or whatever, it was like, this, this is what sheep do if they don't have humans. Like, they just turn into cotton balls and die. Like, this is just, this is their life. We need Jesus to be the door to life for us. Jesus is that door for us. We'd be like that sheep lost in that forest without him. Now, it might not be what we want. It might not be what we think life is. But Jesus absolutely has the abundant life for us. And if you feel the groaning of that, one day you won't. Because the abundant life also means he will resurrect us one day. He will give us a life that won't end. I think most of the painful things in life are something ending. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you something that won't end. He's the door. He's the way of life. Do you feel hopeless sometimes? Do you feel like you've been grasping at all of these things to, to get life, and they're just not satisfying, or they satisfy a little bit, but not quite? I think Jesus would say to you, that's because he's the door to life, not all those things. Those things might be good gifts of creation, but they don't hold a candle to Jesus being the door to life. Jesus is the door. Some of you might, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't see, that doesn't seem right to me. Try it. I don't know. Try to seek him as life and see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen. I pray, honestly, Holy Spirit, do something with that and help them to see that you're the door of life. 
But Jesus is the door to life. He's not just a way of life, although he is that. He is the way to life. Jesus is the door to life. Okay, let's keep going on. Let's see how else Jesus describes himself in this passage. Verse 11. He's, he, this is mid-speech. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus now wants to reveal, and he he already kind of has in this passage, that he is the good shepherd. Jesus cares about you. Jesus thinks about you. Jesus loves you. Something else Delphina told me is that when her grandfather is away from the sheep, they're on his mind. Even specific sheep and and what they're going through, what they need. That's the sort of shepherd we have in Jesus. Delphina's grandfather is a picture of the sort of love that Jesus has for us. Ezekiel 34, it goes on to talk about how God says, hey, since the leaders of Israel have failed in their calling as shepherd, that God himself will come as shepherd. I need a drink, I'm sorry. That God himself will come as shepherd. And so Jesus, when he's saying all this to this crowd who know that passage well, he's saying he is the God shepherd. He is the one who has come to as God in the flesh, to be the shepherd that the leaders of Israel couldn't. He is the God shepherd. And so there's a few ways that we see how Jesus is a good shepherd from what he says here. The first way we see is is Jesus is the sort of shepherd that lays his life down, and he does it willingly. He's the sort of shepherd that sees danger coming, knows that danger is going to get his flock, knows that he has to step in front of that danger and his flock, and that that danger even will consume him. It's not even a calculated risk, like maybe I'll survive this one. He knows that he won't win that fight, but he knows that the sheep will get away. The sheep will be safe. And he does that willingly. This is why we love superhero movies. There's almost always a moment in the superhero movie where the superhero goes, I have to do this. I have to sacrifice myself to save these people. And then they do it. And we've got tears in our eyes and we don't know why. And it's because that's a picture of God's love for us. That's the sort of love that God has for us. Honestly, as I was reading this passage, there was a scene in a movie that just kept sticking out to me. This is going to be a spoiler. And I don't really care. Uh... (laughs) 
It's from a, a quiet place. Okay, so if you, plug your ears if you don't want to hear spoilers. From the first quiet place. And there's this scene where, where, where essentially, if you don't know a movie, there's monsters. If they hear you, they kill you. Okay? And they have to all be quiet. It's a quiet place. Okay? And so there's this scene where, where the monsters are beginning to hear this, this father's kids. He has these two kids. And the monster's going to get these kids. And the father knows the only way to get the monster away so they can get away is if he screams. So the monster consumes him instead. And it's powerful. You watch it and you're like, man, I hope I'm never in that situation with my kids. But tears come to my eyes because that's the way that Jesus loves us. He saw the danger of sin. He saw the danger of his own wrath towards our sin. And he said, you know what? I'm going to let that consume me so it doesn't have to consume Anthony. That's the sort of good shepherd that we have. One that lays his life down willingly. Jesus is the good shepherd. Another way he's the good shepherd is he doesn't just bring sheep in from one place. He brings them from all over the world. Right? Some of the pushback to the Ezekiel 34 stuff, like it's the church's job to care for the world. Sometimes they're like, well, just the church. We're just supposed to care for the church, and, and, and that's, that's what we're supposed to do. And, and I, I think that's important. But Jesus, it says, I believe in Matthew or Mark, says that he saw the crowds like sheep without a shepherd. The crowds. Notice there's no calculation like he saw some of the crowds like sheep without a shepherd. He saw all of the crowds like sheep without a shepherd, and he wants to be their shepherd. And so we get a, a taste of God's plan when it says that he, he has sheep outside this fold that he wants to bring in. God, from the start, when sin entered this world, he wanted to restore the whole world. Not just some of it, not just some but he wants to restore the whole world. And so Jesus has plenty of sheep outside of Israel that he wants to bring in. That's why you and I are here today. Jesus is the good shepherd over all of creation, not just little parts of it. He sees the crowds like sheep without a shepherd. That's the sort of good shepherd he is. Another way Jesus is a good shepherd is He's, he's a shepherd whose work is rooted in love. I want to reread verse 17. It says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my, down my life that I may take it up again. Now, when you first read it, it sounds like he's saying, okay, because I lay my life down, the Father loves me. But as I studied this more and I looked at some theologians, what they thought, and one, one in particular, D.A. Carson, what he's saying is, what, what Jesus is kind of saying is love is what motivates him. That's why he lays his life down. It be, it, because he's the sort of good shepherd whose work is rooted in love. In the Trinity, in Father, Son, and Spirit, there is a community of love. God is one and yet three, distinct. I don't know how that works. And in the Trinity, there is love. And so because God is love, he can't help but come and lay his life down because the Father loves him. 
Jesus is the sort of good shepherd that's not just coming and just doing some cool good stuff. He's the sort of shepherd whose work is rooted in love. This is why we're all obsessed with love. It's, It's who God is. He is love. That's part of his character, part of his nature. Jesus is the sort of good shepherd whose work is rooted in love. And he's, he's the sort of shepherd that we see in this. That he, he does this all out of his own strength and not the flocks. I love that. Okay, let's look at how people react. I love details like this in the scriptures, verses 19 through 21, because it, we, I, I just feel like these are very interesting historical tidbits. Look what it says. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I love this because many years later, right now, when we read these things of Jesus, and if we can see that they're pretty historically accurate to what he said, even like atheists will go, yeah, I think the gospel's at least what he taught, that's accurate. They might not believe the miracles, but they'll go, historically accurate what he taught. And so if that's true, we could go, that guy was crazy. He's saying some crazy stuff. He's saying he's the door, he's the good shepherd, he's the way to life. Like he's saying some crazy things. And so what I love about little historical tidbits like this in John and other gospels is it's like here's how the crowd reacted to Jesus making these huge, audacious claims about himself. They were torn, right? Some of them just go, he must have a demon. He, got, he has to be insane. What's with this? And then the other half of the crowd is like, I get what you're saying. But, but people that are crazy and insane and have demons, they, they don't talk like this. They're, 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 this is not quite how demons, demon-possessed or crazy people talk. Besides the fact that he's healing people. I just love that because 2,000 years later, we have to wrestle with that. If you, if you have moments where you're like, I'm not sure if, if the Jesus of the Bible is, is who Jesus really was, I just go, man, I, I think we have to wrestle with that because you can even see historical accounts outside of the Bible that have similar postures. So here, here's what we can be left with today. We can be warned by what Jesus said about the thieves and the robbers. We can be warned about that sort of heart. That sort of Ezekiel 34 failed in our calling heart. We can be warned by that. Or we can just say, oh, that's not me. And we can also be invited into life. Jesus wants to invite us into life. I think constantly throughout John, the reason he puts things the way he does is he's inviting people into life. He sees the crowds without a shepherd walking into death, essentially. And he's going, I have the abundant life. Come to me. Follow me. Hear my voice. And so we have opportunity today that instead of a walk towards death or walk towards our own way, is to see that Jesus is the way to life. Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays his life down willingly for us. And not only that, he's a powerful shepherd that can lift it back up, can raise from the dead. That's how we can know that he has this sort of life to give to us. 
Jesus is the good shepherd. See him for, this is the point of the sermon. See Jesus for who he is. Right, when you're falling in love with someone or you're married to someone, you want to see them for who they are. And hopefully the more that you see about them, the more your affections are stirred towards that person. So whether you're a new believer or a mature believer, we can just look at this passage and just look at Jesus and fall more in love with him. Be thankful that he is this sort of shepherd. God has come to gather his sheep, hear his voice, follow him. I want to close with that second part of Ezekiel 34. And it's the part where God says he's going to be the shepherd. It's the part that we know that Jesus is hearkening back to, saying, I'm that God shepherd. And I I just want to read it and just close in prayer, asking that we would see that Jesus is this God shepherd. And some of you are going, what do you mean, Anthony? I I, I, I see it. That's why I'm here. That's why I believe. Listen, all of us forget that he's the good shepherd. All of us forget that Jesus is the God shepherd. All of us exist in certain ways, in certain parts of our lives, lives, as if Jesus isn't shepherd and king over it. And so I just want to read this and then pray that we would see him for who he is. Okay? Verse 11, Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Let's pray. God, help us to see these things about you. Help us to see that you are the way to life. God, some of us, we we cognitively can get there, but there's just something stopping us from realizing that, that that's completely and wholly true for us. Holy Spirit, do something in us so that we just know that you're the way to life. I don't know what that means or how that looks. I don't, Holy Spirit, I know it doesn't even have to just be some kind of moment where you zap us, but maybe it's just a step-by-step, baby-step-by-baby step, walking into your ways. I don't know how you do this. But I ask that you would begin a work in us so that we see that you are the way to life. Help us to have eyes to see that you are the good shepherd. Help us to see that we need you to lay your life down for us. 
God, some of us are convinced that if we just work hard enough or lay our own lives down, then we'll be okay. But Jesus, we, I know that's not true. You know that's not true. So help us to see that you've laid your life down for us willingly out of love. God, thank you for you, who you are. Convict us and refine us too. May it be that you could never come in here and say to this crowd that there's thieves and robbers amongst us. Let's be a people so in fear of you in all the right ways that when we read Ezekiel 34, we turn away from that way of life and turn towards you. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.